Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from TheNextReel.com. And I'm Pete Wright, also from The Next Reel. We're looking at Jon Favreau's 2008 film Iron Man. And joining us this week, we have Jonathan and Tabitha Carlisle from UHF 62nd. How are you guys doing? Great. Doing very good. Very happy to be here. We're thrilled to have you guys. You guys also uh, have the Princess Bride Minute, which is one of my favorites. So it's a, it's a thrill that uh, that you guys are joining us this week. I'm very excited. Marvel movies are my favorite. <laughs> so I'm really excited to talk about it. They are certainly fun to talk about and dig into. There's a lot of meat. Mm-hmm. And you guys could not have had a better week of minutes for this particular <laughs> movie. What? Yes. These are my favorite five minutes in a row of the entire movie. (laughs) All right. Yeah. No, it's good. It's like, here we go. Here's Iron Man. We're getting started. Yeah, exactly. flying. We are looking at Iron Man uh, minute 76 on today's show. The minute starts with an angry Tony putting his new suit on, and it ends with Iron Man flying across the sky. This is it. This is the Mark III. I, yeah, I think when we decided to do this minute, like or this this whole series in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it was this set of minutes right, that that sort of inspired us to do it. Well, it's just great seeing this suit come together. We've seen the Mark One getting put together. We've seen him trying the Mark Two. They've all kind of had their their beauty shots. But there's something about this particular minute, watching this suit come together, the way that he steps into it, and it all kind of assembles around him. It's it's a thrill to see this happen. Yeah, and it's it's just amazing, especially compared to now, you know, and how quickly he can get a suit on when you're looking at the current movies, just like everything <laughs> he went through in the beginning to, you know, just right. all these parts to get the suit on is amazing. I think I would be a bit claustrophobic in that suit. Yeah, when the mask comes down, that is an anxiety uh, riddled moment. I know, for me. knowing like you can't just comes down over his face. You can't just shrug this thing off. You have to have the machines yeah, to get it right. off your body. But it's so cool. You know, and there's another one. Speaking of anxiety, like when he the last few seconds of this when he's flying is the first time I have the sense that okay, he has this like rocket on each appendage and literally cannot stop moving forward. He is now a shark in the sky. He just has to keep moving forward to stay alive. And (laughs) that always gives me the sense of anxiety, too. Like, what if there is mountain and then you cannot turn all of a sudden? Like, I these are the things that I think about. And uh, it really it scares. crap. I know, because how how much did he actually test this? You know, we saw him testing some of those other ones, but this is a pretty, pretty long trip for a new a new machine. Right. He doesn't care. It's a, <laughs> it it's care. a really long flight. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's going to be crazy to talk about that. I, I think it's really funny. We were looking at that with his flight time just on his plane earlier in the film to get from the L.A. area around the world to uh, Bagram Airfield. Now he's flying in a suit, which arguably is flying faster, but still. I mean, what do you do? You know, he's sitting in the suit for an awfully long time. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He is literally trapped in the suit. There's no. Okay, yeah, because it's hours and hours and hours that he's doing this. Yeah, that's the thing they cut out. There's no flight attendants. Right. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) There's no flight attendants. There's no badly embroidered blankets. There's no drinks. I have never put that together. I'm sorry. (laughs) It makes me very uncomfortable right now. Uh, we have uh, Ramin Jawadi's fantastic Iron Man theme really kicking in here. 
the music, I think, really helps sell this also. And Tom Morello, who we saw get taken down earlier in the film, his guitar work is, is playing here. And I just, I don't know, there's something about this, this theme for this superhero that just fits so perfectly for me. What about, what do you guys think? Uh, I was, was going to ask if you like hot takes on that, because um, I don't, I don't, for this minute, if we could take 76 and that was it, I'd be happy with it. Um, but I, I don't really like when it comes back because it seems to be like the same cut every time and it's just kind of thrown on top of each scene. So I like it. I like it for this, the assembly scene. But mm-hmm. after that, then it kind of takes me out of it a little bit where it, it feels a little disconnected. It feels like it's not made for those other scenes. It feels like it's just made for this scene. Well, that's certainly something that I've noticed a lot through this film is I think that the way that Ramin Jawadi composed the tracks, um, they never seemed to really just lay them in where they were supposed to be. And they they it seemed like in the editing, they just played around with, oh, it feels good here. OK, let's let's just let's cut this piece of the track here. And they seemed to do, do a lot of track editing and shortening and stuff. And so. That's which it never goes over that well with uh, score. You know, it just sometimes it 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 takes the builds away and stuff. And and I think some of that happens here because it's a great theme. I really do enjoy it. But I think you're right. As we kind of continue through these five minutes, we're going to lose some of the um, that sense of it. And there's there's no. It's obviously based on. Uh, I think most people, when they watch these movies, they remember the Iron Man being more like ACDC and, you know, the actual mm-hmm. classic rock songs. And obviously the score is meant to kind of take that and go along with it. But uh, but I don't know. It, it, there's no punch to it, I guess. is You know, the, the, I don't know. Good rock and roll, there's always a punch to it. And I don't feel that the score has a punch to it. It's definitely something also that I think is going to end up, um, we'll have a lot of conversations about that over this whole franchise. Because... I think that there's been a lot of talk about the lack of memorable themes within the sure. within the franchise and the lack of, um, you know, reusing the themes like we never hear, even if whatever you think of this Iron Man theme, it never comes up. It's not like representing his character when he pops into the Avengers films or Spider-Man or or whatever. It's, it's not kind of a, a, something that ends up getting repeated. And that's something that I think. Uh, certainly the filmmakers and composers could have done a better job with, but it is what it is. But but you're right about this minute in particular, that sort of grinding building. I think this minute in in isolation, it's it it is perfect and it feels kind of it it accentuates the mechanical nature of what we're seeing as the suit is assembled around him. I I think here it works, but yeah, it it gets a little bit long in the tooth through overuse. This is a this is an interesting minute because Tony, we see him. Uh, he walks out after finishing breaking some windows, which he started doing in the last minute, and then he steps out onto his floor. And uh, we find out not only has he had time to build this whole new suit, he's also had time to build this whole new way to put the suit on, which I think is is crazy. Uh, one, it all I don't know why it bugs me, but it's just one of those little things. He has this floor that opens up, but for whatever reason, it's not designed to be at the center of the crosshairs that he has on the floor. It's one of those stupidly <laughs> petty things that bug me, but it's like, why is it Why is it over here and not in the middle? But uh, I don't know. It's But it, it, because <laughs> it's over by exactly one square. Like, it's so, yeah, it, I've never noticed that. And now I am uh, angry too, Andy. <laughs> you're, you have, you're angry you with have created me. a monster. <laughs> It's just such a strange little thing. I don't I don't get that. And and the floor splits 
where the line on the one actually moves off to the left. Shouldn't it be right down exactly the middle of a line? Yeah, oh. that's what, yeah, it should oh. be centered. It should be centered on the, I feel like it should be centered at the zero point on the axis. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It should be one a zero, zero. One foot and one line, like right in the, it splits the width of that, like one inch width line. Oh, I'm very frustrated now. Oh, <laughs> I shall, I shall be composing a sternly worded letter. Kevin, Kevin, dear Kevin. Right. It is funny, though, because it's like, okay, so he got this thing built, but when is he doing it and who builds it? Like, is he having contractors come in to, like, excavate under his basement to build this thing? It's not just like that Jarvis and Dummy and you are helping him with it. And it's we haven't seen him doing any of it. It's just, it's one of these things that if you think about it too much, it's, it's a little illogical, but... I don't know. It does it matter? It's so cool, right? <laughs> it's very cool, but yeah, I don't think you can think about it too much. Uh, unless he's having <laughs> robots building robots, which is possible. But yeah, but I think that's what he's doing. Yeah, that's why I don't. I mean, I don't think Tony's the claustrophobic type anyway. Um, but I think that's why he's so confident to just step into this thing that just locks him down, is because he's built all of this. He built. I think he yeah. built everything that built all of this. So he's completely confident in his own abilities, and he's ready to go. Yeah, there are just so many more robots here than we've seen before. It, it's kind of a surprise. <laughs> like I didn't I thought we were working with kind of two robots and things that hold other things. But right. uh, now we've got like six robot arms and his appendages are being pulled hither and yon. And uh, apart from the anxiety, it's very cool. The other thing that I, I just want to mention is, you know, we've we've spent so long, right, 75 minutes watching Tony in a very mechanical, very grounded, like he's grinding metal in some of the deleted scenes he's he's you know he's working hands-on so many like practical pieces of the suit and you know notwithstanding the fact that the cg stuff looks really good here Mm -hmm. um it, it this is sort of the big transition minute from uh you know tony working with his you know grounding with grinding with his hands to now he's standing there right and and bits are flying around him and and i think this this minute does this really successfully that it allows us to make that transition as the audience from um you know we've we've seen so much of the practical suit now we're going to be seeing the cg suit and we don't question it. At least I don't question it, that all these things are moving around him. It still feels, um, you know, every bit Iron Man to me. Yeah. And the CG is so good. You know, if you're just not even think about it, thinking about it, it just it looks real. <laughs> you know, it's hard to... Yeah. Yeah, totally does. <laughs> it's very That's, good. That is the the magic of this sequence, I think. I think it's it's really successful at helping the audience kind of make that leap and not mm-hmm. question it. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting is that early in the process of getting this film made when they were dealing with the budget and trying to figure out plans and having to cut funds and all that sort of thing they actually cut all of these moments of the of the film where you would see him putting his suit on and it really became just about you know you'd see him like breaking the windows and then the way that it was is we'd we'd end up in Dubai and you'd he would just be in the suit they they realized and this is interesting. It was actually a year before this came out when the Transformers movie came out. And that movie was crazy at the box office. It just, it made so much money. And John Favreau talked to Marvel. And he's just like, the Transformers, people are loving seeing these 
machines uh, turning into vehicles and just all of the intricacies of the way all of that stuff is happening. We have to show him getting suited up. We really have to. And they had, they'd cut all that money out, but Marvel ended up agreeing with him and they gave him, I think like another $10 million. And that's what they used to create this particular scene and the Mark II earlier when you see those moments. And it becomes such an integral and, and a, you know, key part of the movie. It's just like, I can't even imagine having it without these scenes. So right. I, I think, so we have the, the Transformers to thank for, for this moment. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> At least we have something well, to thank it, for. <laughs> the Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I do. I, I agree. I, I think the Transformers actually were, were <laughs> oh man, fighting every urge to say transformational. <laughs> uh, but they, they were instrumental in, um, you know, displaying CG machines, right, uh, in this sort of generation of CG film work. Mm-hmm. Like, there is something really magical that goes into watching how they make the pieces fit together and make it, you know, and know that they're designing that in CAD. Like, this is not a thing that they're that they're doing, like they're thinking through every single piece that goes into this machine. And I look at that and think, I, I don't know that I could make sense of it. All of the spinning dials and the, the, the spinning pieces, how, like I'm looking at the suit as his arms are right about 27, second 26, seven, eight of this minute, like watching who thought of all of the little widgets and gears and nets and things and designed those in a computer to make them look like they realistically fit together. This is so much more of a work of art than the nano suit in Infinity War, right? I mean, it's it is just so much more rewarding and satisfying mm-hmm. to watch. Yeah, and I think seeing this now makes the transformation, you know, as Tony's ingenuity uh you know, progresses through the movies and he's able to make his suit be more compact and how it goes on his body. It's really great that we get to see this now, you know, just everything that went into putting it on. It it just makes the progression, I don't know, seem even more impressive in his uh, as he's building those. Well, and and I think it becomes less believable over over time, over subsequent movies that like this one, it feels like every piece takes up a physical volume, like a a, a bit of space in a way that like the briefcase suit doesn't. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, that it just feels kind of unnatural. How can he carry that briefcase suit? Right. <laughs> I, and, and we obviously will get to that. But, you know, I, I always find that so unbelievable. This one, like, I believe that it takes six robots to put this thing on his body. And, yeah. And uh, that's that's really that's rewarding. Well, what was that bit that I told you, Pete, about how heavy this suit was supposed to be, according to the uh, the guys who were um, designing it? Didn't they say oh, that it was man. supposed to be like a half ton or something? Yeah, yeah, it was a half ton. Oh. That was that was I think that was the stat. Like, how how do you make that? Like, that is a lot of iterative process improvement uh, to right. fit a to half to ton a in a briefcase <laughs> and give it to Happy. Right? Like, it's just not a thing. Yeah. It makes a lot more sense why he falls through the roof earlier, though. Yes, and crushes a car, right? <laughs> it, it, you know, going back to uh, Transformers, it was interesting in that film how uh, Michael Bay had, I can't remember who it was, but he had like some Italian designer, um, like special effects guy, who actually figured out how to make these Transformers, like when they were moving, how to figure out, you know, which parts would have to move in order for this other part to move into its place and everything. It was a very complex thing, but he actually designed them in such a way where theoretically 
it was entirely possible to have it transformed the way that it did. And I think that that absolutely was something that these guys took into account because the way that you see these different parts coming together and kind of uh, attaching to each other, uh, connecting to each other, pulling them as as things get turned, kind of how it all gets pulled together, it just it it feels like everything here is compact yet designed to fit perfectly all as one big suit. It's it's so fascinating to watch this thing come together. I just can't help but think about like what if was this the first time that he ever ran this sequence? 100% of the process? Like, what about that one screw that suddenly goes into his femur because it just wasn't aligned right? Like, uh, nothing ever works like well like this the first time for me. Nothing ever works like this. And that's why we're not Tony Stark. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. Sad I remember them, them talking about that when they were doing some of the effects um, work and they had Robert Downey Jr. in, I think it was the Mark One suit, and he was just trying to figure out some of the movements. And even then, it was just like, you know, and, and again, it was just a, you know, special effects suit that he was wearing, but still just like moving his arm. He's just like, oh, I can't, I can't move it this way because these pieces are hitting each other. They're like, no, you have to kind of turn it and then move it. And, uh, and he's like, oh, I see, I see. It's like those little things that obviously Tony Stark is figuring out because there are a lot of moving parts here. And yeah, you're right. It's like it's like when if he twists, you know, certain things aren't all of a sudden jabbing him in the ribs. Like he's designing it perfectly. It's a, it's an amazing feat that he's built this so flawlessly. Can we talk about his flight then? The last couple of seconds, because this is the. I, I mean, I know in in later films we see a lot of, um, you know flaps and things. But this is this kind of hero shot in the very last second of this minute, we get, you know, we get to see the suit and how it adjusts for this kind of supersonic flight uh, in a way that I don't think we see as beautifully in other, you know, other minutes. Like they take into account how the suit changes and the shape that he has to kind of contort himself into to, to stay aloft and fly in a straight line. In, in a way that that I think they take for granted later. Am I alone? It, it definitely, uh, it's, well, mainly what I think about when I see him flying is that's an uncomfortable way to like have to have your body held for yeah, 10 hours. 10 hours, mm-hmm. right. I, I did find a website where some scientists were talking about the the feasibility of him flying in a suit like this. And and they said there's there's not enough I don't know what it is. A like lift surface from, area, right? Well, like no, there's you, not enough like lift from something on the underside of him to kind of help keep him up. Like if if mm-hmm. it was just those those rockets in his feet, he would he would consistently be kind of drifting down. And and I'm not exactly sure. Like he, if he lowers his hands some points to kind of, I mean, he calls them earlier flight stabilizers in his hands. So I wonder yeah. if he puts his hands down to kind of keep pushing himself back up. I don't know. His chest piece, right? It just blasts toward the ground every now and again to <laughs> right. keep him up. Sorry about the people down below. <laughs> well, maybe if, uh, especially since the suit, you know, like he said, weighs like a half ton or something, he must have a lot of those robotics must be doing a lot of assisting. So if he, mm-hmm. say he, he moves his arm just a little bit, like the suit senses that and then assists him to actually move his arm to lift the arm of the, the armor and everything. Uh, so I wouldn't be too surprised if he's taking a nap in there and he's just got it programmed to, you know, it, it's just, it's holding <laughs> itself in the shape that it needs to hold itself to right. keep on flying. Yeah. 
Well, considering, yeah, the reveal in the script that his plane was actually pilotless, it makes perfect sense that he would design the suit where he, where he could do just that, where he could take a nap and let it fly the flight for him. Probably stimulating his abs so he gets a six-pack by the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Sign me up. I, I think that's what's so great uh, about this is that even uh, even as you start to try to, to pull it apart, I still believe it. Like, I still believe that the suit is is capable of doing what they're showing me. And mm-hmm. that's, that's, um, that's really cool. Definitely. I did have one specific note as he's, as he's dressing up, uh, I just happened to notice his footwear. Um, the, he's uh-huh. got like the, the split toe boot on. So I just did a little bit of research on that. It's basically from the Japanese early, early 20th century. They, they had some footwear that they made them, but that is based on the traditional Japanese socks that are split toed to accommodate for uh, thonged footwear. So I was wondering, like, because huh. I, I think this is the only time I ever really noticed that he's wearing those in the movie. So I was wondering if his suit, if the footwear or his boots for the suit are thonged. So maybe that gives him some kind of control where he can, like, curl his oh. curl his toes and that tells the suit to do something. Or hmm. Right. Or if it's just, you know, he's Tony Stark and he's a man about the world. So he's just, well, I'll try these shoes. Right. <laughs> I like the idea of him controlling something with his dext- highly dexterous Tony Stark big toe. <laughs> like that, that's very satisfying for me. And again, it's so much more believable than like later when he's like, well, clearly wearing loafers in the suit, you know, because it just appeared on him. I think it's I think that's that's very thoughtful. I, I love that idea. And those are pretty cool little socks. I my understanding is I guess the person that we're watching this happen with is somebody who works at ILM. I I think if you watch through this whole minute, they do a really good job of never showing us uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s face. I think they digitally kind of add the head, and you get a couple hints that it might be him. And but it's not until second forty eight when we get the uh, the close up of his face as he's getting the mask on. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the only Robert Downey Jr. in this whole section here i did also have another question this is this is very nitpicky but this is something that i noticed even just when i'm watching the movie at the very beginning of 76 when we see the tail end of him blowing out the the glass walls he his posture he does a lot of chest out kind of stuff and i Mm. i can't tell even from back when these movies were new when was that um i mean let's it's robert downey jr maybe Maybe he didn't bulk up like uh, Captain America and Thor. So I don't know if that was just some of that, like like that Top Gun posing kind of a thing or... or uh, <laughs> Puffing his chest up a bit. Yeah. Or if, because we see other, other uh, practical effects in the movie when he's operating on his own chest and that kind of stuff, if that was like just some long con of, yeah, his chest is always just kind of out a little bit. So when you see those other effects, you're like, well, I guess his chest looks kind of weird, but that's just how he holds himself all the time. (laughs) Right. You noticed it kind of an earlier minute, Pete, that he was kind of in a, I think you called it kind of a dancer pose that he was, (laughs) I think, walking around in as he was uh, talking to Jeff Bridges, right? He has a, a, a lovely strut. That I the the RDJ strut I like to to think of it as he's walking upstairs and he walks across kind of the the main room there to grab the pizza and 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 he walks like a dancer and and I think that's when we pulled out that he's got you know he's he's got martial arts training and and uh, this is Robert Downey Jr. Um, who you know this this may be sort of manifest of his actual 
physical experience and activity that he has a kind of an interesting pose. Like his posture is it, it's certainly unnatural to me. And it's I find it uncomfortable, but, it, you know, it, it he, he seems to carry it pretty well. It's interesting. That it, it is kind of an oddly slow pace as he walks. I, I don't know. It's like, I don't know. There's there is something weird about the way that he leaves that scene. You know, when I when I walk like this, I can totally do it. But it's when I'm like on the edge of a pool and I'm wearing flippers, right? Or like I'm about to like, that's how he does. He picks up his knees <laughs> a little bit too high and his feet look like they're wearing something flippery. That's the pose. Like that's how you kind of do. Maybe do it's just awkward walk. to walk in those Japanese shoes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Posture correction. Exactly. I took a moment to look at the walls that we see in there and just look at some of the things that he has in the walls. So at the very beginning of the minute, it shows um, like a picture on the wall that looks like a flag. It has several pictures that, you know, is comes out to be a flag, which is interesting that he has some Americana type of things in his house. For me, that kind of showed some patriotism. Uh, but uh-huh. then further in, in second 27, I was just looking at some of his uh, motor oil memorabilia that he has on the walls and just looking them up to see if they were real or if they were just manufactured for the movie. And so they're all real. The Texaco motor oil sign was from the 1930s and it was a curb sign, um, double-sided porcelain, and you can still find it on eBay for about $575. And then there was a sterling motor oil tombstone shape uh, sign that was from the 1920s. You can get that on eBay for about $450. And it's also noticed that a lot of uh, these signs are sold by people in India. I don't know uh, as far as collections. Wow. But then the, there's also a Pontiac service sign. And I didn't catch what year that was from, but uh, you can get those on eBay from India, um, the actual vintage ones for about 100 to $230. Just like depending. in Dubai? Uh, no, maybe. <laughs> uh, the one was from <laughs> Delhi. But uh, yeah. So if you want to decorate Interesting. your workshop like Tony Stark... You can go get these signs. Vintage. <laughs> you can find them on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. I, I would imagine that the art department probably just printed some things up and <laughs> didn't bother <laughs> paying hundreds of dollars for them. But they look great. I love the look of all those different things. Yeah, they do look wall. good. And they aged them well. One of them, the one in the middle, I'm not on that shot at the moment. But uh, it's it was pretty rusty looking compared to some of them that I saw online. So, I don't know. Yeah. They did a good job aging them. And they, those are in this minute? Yeah, they're in this minute. Oh, man. I second, was at the suit the whole second time. Second 27. It's very easy when you're watching oh, you're the right. suit get assembled to not pay attention to anything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I figured wow. you guys would have a lot of really technical things about the suit. And so I was like, okay, what's <laughs> what else is around this room? Right. The suit is super cool. This this is the uh, the Mark III suit, as, as we've mentioned. Um, the first time that we see this red and gold suit appear in the comics, it's Tales, Tales of Suspense number 48 from December 10th, 1963, when he is uh, fighting a villain named um, the Doll, I believe is his name. He Basically, he makes these little voodoo doll or master doll or something, and he makes these little 
it's almost like a voodoo doll sort of thing out of clay, but he makes it of somebody super fast. And as soon as he does, he can manipulate it and torture them, basically. And he's doing that with Tony Stark or with Iron Man, but he does it in the uh, the other suit. And so Tony is able to change suits. And I can't how, remember. But Andy, how long had he been in this in the, you know, all how long had he been Iron Man before the Mark Three suit was? Uh, was in operation for him in the comics? Not very long. That was 48. The first Tales of Suspense uh, with Iron Man was 39. So, and he was, and that was the one issue with him in, I guess we'll call it the Mark I suit. And then the very next issue is when he turned it gold. And then he was in kind of that gold suit until this particular issue, number 48. Okay. Yeah, it it feels like they were they were, you know, trying things because this is the one that this is the iconic one. This is the one that sticks. Yeah. And even then it ends up changing through the comics and obviously then through the films many, many times because Tony Stark is never one to sit on his laurels and leave, leave it the way it is for very long. Mm -hmm. We have a deleted scene here that we should we should spend a little time talking about because the way that the the film initially played, as I mentioned earlier. There was no suit assembly. What we did is we went from him uh, blowing blowing his windows out, and then we then we cut to Pepper, and she comes downstairs and is like, "What happened here?" And he's like, "I want to throw a party in my, in Dubai, get the house ready." And then we cut to this big party going on in Dubai with uh, him and Gwyneth Paltrow, and uh, and we see a bunch of other people, and it sets up the scene where Tony is basically creating this fake party in Dubai so that he can get to Afghanistan that much quicker. And uh, it's kind of a funky little, funky little deleted scene. Um, what did you guys think of this scene? And had you seen it before? I hadn't seen it before, and I'm glad they didn't use it. <laughs> I like it. Oh, yeah. I like it this way. I like that we can see him getting the suit on. And I, in the out, in the deleted scene, I just didn't like how he treated Pepper in that scene. Uh, I, I don't know. I didn't like, I didn't like the feeling of how he treated Pepper. I felt like that wouldn't have meshed well with their chemistry later on in the movie as well. Uh, when he shot off, uh, when the fireworks were happening and he took off, everybody still saw him anyways, if he was trying to be sneaky. <laughs> like people, people still noticed it. And also as far as keeping, keeping the movie more family friendly out of all the movies, I think this, out of all the Marvel movies, this one might be the most sexual as it is. And so adding that scene in, I think just takes it up a, you know, another notch where when my kids were younger, you know, wanting to watch it, it's like another scene you have to skip through. So I'm glad they didn't have that. Right. Have that in there. Yeah. Setting up a whole foursome. Right. <laughs> with Tony, it's like, eh, yeah, I don't think I'd want my kids to be sitting through that. Mm. And you're right. It's horrible how he treats Pepper, especially because we've had that moment earlier where we start seeing them connect and it seems like there's this thing happening. And then all of a sudden, and granted, I know he's upset at these terrorists and he is not thinking straight, but still the way that, that he treats Pepper and the way that he kind of almost willingly disregards any growth in their relationship just to create this this uh, fake situation with him in the bedroom with these women it just it just uh, just kind of made me angry at him yeah 
Yeah, I, yeah, it's a silly and kind of wasted mechanic too. Like uh, we, I, I feel like it's just so much more efficient in in terms of storytelling, and we get to really celebrate the reveal of the suit and get excited by just that. You know, I, I think it was it, it's enough. I'm, I agree. I'm really glad they didn't use it. Well, and Jonathan and I were talking about this last night. Um, you know, how did how would he have gotten the suit and all the mechanics to Dubai to get it on you know this isn't right this isn't a suitcase suit so does he have a whole <laughs> setup in dubai to put this all on his body so it, it just wouldn't have worked as well i don't think this i like this way yeah as long as we can let go of the time zone math right as right. Or not, you know not time zone math. like the length as long as you buy into the fact that it's just he's going to be in that suit for a long time yeah, we just won't think about As long as you it. don't think about that, it's okay. If anything, right, I would say he'll get to Afghanistan faster in the suit than yes. he would getting his suit to the plane, getting his plane off the air and getting it over to Dubai, faking the whole party and then flying. Right. Right. He probably right. saved a good, you know, 15 hours. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess as far as the character goes, either way, he's... Well, holding a grudge is not quite the right word. But, you know, when you get angry about something and you you have time that you're going to go do it, like either way, he's spending a lot of effort, a lot of time before he gets to his destination to exact his anger, I guess. But he. Yeah, I don't know. This way, this way seems like he's he's all to himself and he's all quiet about it. I, I guess the other way, it's like by the time you get to the party and stuff, you're like, oh, oh, man, I got to do this thing now, too. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The the only uh, other note I had about the party is the fact that Ghostface Killers here at the party and that's uh that was this was the scene that that uh, he had been in that ended up on the cutting room floor and i guess led to favreau including his music video in the plane earlier just to make sure that he still got included in the film oh okay i didn't make <laughs> didn't make that connection yeah you don't want to upset ghostface killer yeah. right yeah the one thing about the party i guess it, maybe the one good thing is it gives you another look into Tony's life and how disgusting it was, <laughs> I guess, in a way. Yeah, just yeah. like how sad it was. I'm glad that he's moved on. He's he's moved on in his life. <laughs> it does it does create one thing, I guess, for the movie that might have been interesting is it's just like one more push into Tony Stark kind of Bruce Waning it, where he's he's trying to play the playboy and not be the playboy mm -hmm. he's, he's trying to do that double sure. double blind thing where and then at the end of the movie the reveal is like well is he gonna you know is he gonna com fully commit to that or is he just gonna come out so yeah i, I guess it would have created a little bit of tension there just like is he or isn't he but i don't know that it's worth it it's a it's a really long scene it plays really long yeah yeah, I mean, granted, it's not, it wasn't finalized, the mix, yeah. obviously, it doesn't have the, the mix or anything. But even without uh, that stuff, it still is, a, it's kind of a slog to get through. Yeah, I like, though, when he's walking through, and just about after everybody touches, he puts his hand over by Pepper, and she squirts hand sanitizer <laughs> into his hand. That was kind of funny. <laughs> that was a nice touch. Well, I don't have anything else for this minute. What about uh, anyone else? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. That's it for me. All right. We got a lot to a lot of juicy stuff to talk about these next few days. Mm -hmm. So where can people find you guys on the interwebs? You can if you want to listen to the Princess Bride Minute, which at this time is completely done. You can go to the com and everything is there. My upcoming project, UHF 62nd. We do have some preview episodes. 
even even not knowing when this when this episode right now is airing, I'm still saying I'm not sure when UHF is actually going to be starting. We're taking our time and having fun with it. So but uh, but look forward to that. And I don't host my own podcast, but uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tabitha Carlisle or at Tabitha T. Rex. And I've guested on some other minute by minute podcast. And so a podcast that by the time this airs will have just recently come out is Minute Impossible Season 2, where they're talking about uh, the second Mission Impossible movie. And Jonathan and I will be on the first five minutes of, of Season 2. So you can catch us over there. Excellent. Excellent film. It's a fun <laughs> one. I'm excited. I have so much fun with the whole series. Yeah. I really do. I, okay. Yeah, the whole the whole series that that's yeah. maybe not my favorite of the bunch. But, no, uh, they're good. Uh, they're, I'm sure John Woo still brings a lot to the table. That's for sure. <laughs> that, I think they're going to have man doves and motorcycles and definitely free climbing. I you just shut your mouth, Andy Nelson. You have no joy in your life. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be fun, and they're going to have a bunch of fun with this season, season two. You can also hear us on season one. We were guests on season one too, but yeah, it's Excellent. it's all good. Season one was great. You can go back and listen to it, and season two is going to be a lot of fun with everything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to have to check that out. But uh, for now, everybody, that is it for today's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at patreon.com slash The Next Reel. Until next time, true believers. True believers.